So welcome to the Inner Christianity Podcast, where we engage ideas, movements, and worldviews from a biblically Christian standpoint. Today, I am only here with Isaac, which is pretty crazy because Z is now a father. (laughs) (laughs) So he's out because his wife gave birth to a beautiful daughter. And so it'll just be me and Isaac today. And we'll be talking about a big problem in the SBC. A little over a week ago, the Southern Baptist Convention had its annual meeting in Southern California. And the big topic at the meeting was the results of the sexual abuse investigation that was commissioned the previous year. In a report that you can find online, Guidepost, and an investigative firm concluded that the leadership of the SBC had done a very poor job of handling sexual abuse accusations in some churches and among the convention's leaders. Since we on this podcast are affiliated with the SBC, we felt that it would not be good for us to ignore what was happening, but spend an episode talking about it and acknowledging it. We're going to summarize the findings of this report and address objections that these investigations were a witch hunt or overreaction and try to answer these questions. Is there a systematic problem of sexual abuse in the SBC and other like-minded conservative denominations? Do these problems mean that any good faith Christian should not want to be affiliated with the SBC? like people like us, and what ways can Christians do better in brooding out sexual abusers in our midst? This is a big topic and a big report. So Isaac, could you share like a general summary and your reaction to it? Man, by the way, I tested positive for COVID. So if I sound a little weird, I'm sorry. <laughs> but <laughs> it was a it was a long report. Um, yeah. Basically, the accusations are that there were many accusations against SBC leaders or or SBC pastors over the past 20 years. So I think the scope of the report was from January 1st of 2000. And then I think yeah. June or July of 2021. So it was over 20 years of data that they gathered. They basically concluded that the SBC had very poor controls or they had a mentality that was opposite of actually taking care of victims. Mm-hmm. Even though some entities of the SBC, like the executive committee, they were already building their own list of credibly accused people of sexual abuse, and they compiled a list of like 700 plus people, 400 of which were affiliated with the SBC at some point, but they didn't do anything about those people. They didn't like try to warn churches. They didn't try to make sure these people don't get other jobs in the SBC or anything like that. And a lot of victims of sexual abuse, they felt like they were targeted, that they were slandered sometimes, that people tried to silence them, especially if they accuse a particularly powerful man. So like one person, for example, shared that when she made this accusation against somebody, when it was reported, it was worded in a way where it it made it sound consensual. So I think the way they worded it was, oh, she admits to a immoral relationship with such and such person. But she's like, that's not what I said. I said he sexually abused me. So like the wording of it makes it sound like she was participating willingly in this. And then she go, mm-hmm. she would get like attacked online and whatnot because right. of something like that. Mm-hmm. So I would encourage the listener to go find the report. It's publicly available yeah. and to read through it, especially the parts where they kind of 
report their findings. I think those are well worth the read, though pretty disturbing. Yeah, it kind of breaks down how the SBC functions. So if you're not familiar, the SBC is, it's like different than the Catholic in, in the sense that all local churches have their own power or autonomy. And as I was reading the report, something interesting was that the excuse for why these abusers weren't being punished or dealt with was because, like, I don't know, like this hands-off approach of like, well, it's not my church. I don't have a power to do anything because all churches are autonomous. Like, just really pushing away responsibility from a high perspective. So the executive committee, like how they didn't want to deal with it because it's in the church to deal with it themselves. Yeah. And they're afraid of a legal liability, I think, Mm -hmm. because I think they felt like if they try to jump in and govern these churches, not only maybe these churches themselves might sue them, but they might open themselves up to lawsuits from the sexual sexual abuse victims. They're like, oh, like, look, they're actually trying to do something that they're implicitly admitting responsibility. So Hmm. I think that was one of their concerns. And yes, like you said, like the whole local church autonomy, they felt like this was not for them to deal with from the top down. Right. So it's like very congregational focus. The congregation appoints leaders and representatives and messengers and all that. So the idea is that not one guy has all the power, like maybe the Catholic church with the Pope. So I thought that was interesting that the unique structure of SBC and how that played a part into allowing for the abuse to continue or not be dealt with or be very slow. I thought that was really interesting as well. Yeah. And that is an important point because it it, obviously this can happen in top down churches as well. I mean, you know, there's the Catholic priest controversy, right? There is a limitation of powers at the top of the SBC, but that doesn't mean that they didn't do something incorrect. So it seems like they did make some. Yeah. Pretty hefty mistakes. Right. So what are some of those mistakes? Like, is it like one, like what is uniquely a systematic issue or if it even is a systematic problem? Is it how it's organized or is it the people that were in the executive community? Like, what is the root cause and problem? Yeah. So I'll just present some arguments. So a lot of people Mm -hmm. do blame the local church autonomy. And yeah. some people blame the theological idea of complementarianism, which we have covered before on this podcast. Yeah. And they think that theologically, the SBC is geared towards this kind of abuse because of mm. the widespread belief in complementarianism, which was placed in the Baptist faith and message in the year 2000. So there's this argument that it is a systematic issue. It's all controlled by white males, basically. Now, there are some counter arguments. So one kind of argument, I'm curious to hear your response to it, Angela, is this is kind of a woke witch hunt. And one of the (laughs) one of the um, things that are brought up is that. So I mentioned earlier there there's like 400 pastors or SBC affiliated people who are in their view credibly accused of sexual abuse. So let's multiply that number by 10. And over the past 20 years, like, you know, a lot of stuff goes underreported. So let's say like 4,000 cases of abuse in the SBC over the past 20 years. Uh-huh. Currently, there are over 47,000 SBC churches in America. So if we were to even lowball it and average just one pastor per church, currently, mm-hmm. 
just right now, there are 47,000 SBC pastors. And mm-hmm. of course, over the past 20 years, there's been SBC pastors who have come and gone. We're talking about probably hundreds of thousands of people. So they're like, hey, yes, 400 is a bad number, but contextualizing that over this bigger number, it's a drop in the bucket. Like, this is a witch hunt. This is not like a widespread problem in the SBC. Interesting. So what do you think about that? Man, I honestly, (laughs) this is reported cases that were successful. Like if you read some of the the report, there's it tracks some of the cases that women had to go through and just it was just a very long process for some of these women. And like sometimes it's kind of hard, especially because women find the courage to come out years later and sometimes finding evidence and like going through the legal processes and all that is very difficult. So the fact that there was four hundred even founder, like people admitted to or whatever, I think is a big number. And then the Houston Chronicles or whatever, that was like 700, right? Yeah, yeah. And honestly, even if there was just one or two, like that should be a big deal. If it was just one or two that was pushed down, covered up for the sake of SBC, saving face and protecting the leader itself, that is a problem in itself. And it shouldn't be just passed on like it's a woke witch hunt. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. I agree. I think my response to an argument like this is that I would actually kind of agree with it if the accusation was this is a widespread problem in SBC churches. Mm-hmm. And then the numbers don't necessarily support that. But that's also not what the report said, in my mm-hmm. understanding, as I skimmed through it. The report didn't argue that in the SBC as a whole, there are sexual abusers like all over the place. Mm-hmm. It argued that the leadership of the SBC was particularly bad mm. at handling these issues. So we're talking yeah. about the executive committee. If you don't know what the executive committee does, I barely know either, by the way. They like handle a lot of the finances of all the SBC churches who pool their money for the purposes of missions and education. Um, they kind of handle day-to-day ac- activities in the convention. Mm-hmm. So it's particularly them who were protecting, I guess, the, like you said, the face of the SBC or some of their some of their cronies from public embarrassment or from these accusations. So the report didn't even make the argument like, mm-hmm. oh, if you walk into an SBC church, there's going to be an abuser in the pew next to you. Like, it, it never said that. It, it was particularly geared at the leaders. Yeah, right. So, so if you mean systematic, as in. Lit SBCs littered with sexual abusers. I would deny that. Mm-hmm. But if you mean systematic, as in there's clearly an issue in the upper echelons of the SBC and how they were handling sexual abuse problems, then I think so. I think there's plenty of yeah. evidence for that. And it even showed last year. I hate going to the national conventions. By the way, it's so political. It's so boring. <laughs> I went. <laughs> I went last year to the one in Nashville, and that's when they commissioned this investigation. This investigation was originally a lot more limited and was yeah. going to be overseen by the executive committee. Don't yeah, think, no. Don't you think no. weird? Like, we, we're, we're investigating, but we're overseeing it. And so, someone, <laughs> so someone, had to, someone from the floor had to bring up a motion like, no, it needs to be completely independent. <laughs> yeah. And you do, you do not get to oversee it. And it passed overwhelmingly. 
by right. the attendees who are representing all the churches. So overwhelmingly, yeah. So it just like kind of goes to show like the thought process of the EC. Like seriously, you think this is a good idea? <laughs> and Pro. so yeah, I think it's a particular problem in the leadership. So, but, but I think it's kind of worth now asking why. Like why these kind of upper echelon leaders in the SBC executive committee? You know, why were they acting like this? Do you think their yeah. local church autonomy argument is a good one? Because they because it is true that they're not supposed to try to rule churches from the mm-hmm. top down. That's not their job. Yeah. Like, I, I get it. I understand that. But it was, I think, the cases of them taking extra effort to protect the abuser or protect the name of SBC by, like, trying to just shove it under the rug. So it's like... It felt more like an excuse to me, honestly. Like, I, it's like, yes, they shouldn't have power over individual churches, but at the same time, if something extreme like this is happening, then you would want to, you know? It's like, they do that all the time with, like, women in ministry. Like, if there's, like, <laughs> efforts for women being in pastors, like, all of a sudden, they come out the works and say, hey, this isn't biblical, blah, 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 blah. Like, they make such a big deal out of it, and yet, when it comes to something even more serious, like sexual abuse, like apparently they have no responsibility, like hands-off approach. And I think that's what's really annoying and shows the hypocrisy in like claiming autonomy. And then on the other hand, like clearly trying to be authoritative and like controlling of certain issues. And mm-hmm. so that's more my problem. And then, but yeah, some of the details of the report show like how they would label the woman Something like, I, for, I forget the right wording, but like demonic, like the work of Satan or something, like a tool of Satan or something oh, like yeah. that. There was an internal email from a Mr. Yeah. Boto, who was um, some leader in the SBC. He was talking about some of the victims who were coming forward. So he was like, he denigrated those people as opportunistic, having a hidden agenda of lawsuits. Yeah. So he wrote in an email, this whole thing should be seen for what it is. It is a satanic scheme to completely distract us from evangelism. It is not the gospel. It is not even a part of the gospel. It is a misdirection play. They have gone to the SBC looking for sexual abuse, and of course they found it. But they are not to blame. This is the devil being temporarily successful. Oh so that's a, kind, of a, kind of a weird attitude. And, yeah. and to say this is not part of the gospel... I mean, sure, when you share the gospel, there's no, there's nothing in there about sexual abuse, but there's also nothing in there about a host of moral issues. Yeah. So that I don't know what he's talking about. <laughs> <laughs> like, okay. Yeah, it's making an enemy out of the victim, and it's like othering the victim, trying to disrupt, like, this great SBC, like... I don't know. It, so it's just like, yeah, like you said, a very weird attitude, but also it exposes and reveals what they really think about women or like people who expose or I don't know. Yeah. And I think there is some personal cronyism going on because there's there's a bullet point here, like former SBC president Steve Gaines admitted that as senior pastor at Bellevue Baptist Church, he had delayed reporting a staff minister's prior sexual abuse of a child out of heartfelt concern and compassion for the minister while acknowledging that he should have brought it to the attention of our church leadership immediately. I get it to a certain degree. Like if that's your friend, you don't want their life to get totally upended. But 
you would hope that people who are in ministry, that they are going to just do the right thing, regardless of personal consequences. Yeah. And it's like, what about the compassion for the child who was abused? Yeah, I think there's a misplaced compassion there. (laughs) Hello? Why are we? Oh, sorry that you abused someone. No, thank you. Like, I, I think that's silly. And that that is the priority, though, is like you protect the abuser, not the victim. Yeah, and, and there's many more in this report of similar instances where it just seems like former pastors, and these are actually former like executive committee members. Like I'm reading this list, former SBC president, former SBC president, former mm-hmm. SBC president, former SBC vice president. It's like, oh mm-hmm. my gosh. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Appealing to local church autonomy, I, I'm guessing you don't think it's a good enough excuse. But why? No. Like, what should you, do you think the, the EC, the executive committee should have done? Well, I know even in the report, they mentioned like a database, like a public database, so that other churches are aware of abusers. And I think that's honestly a good idea. Like I worked in a dental office for a year. I know, very random, but I did. <laughs> and they had like a public database of drug abusers. So like some people purposely make their teeth raw or purposely continue having pain in their tooth, go to different dental offices to get recommended pain medication, like very strong Mm. pain medication. And so apparently it's happened enough to where they created a public database of people who've done it enough times and got caught. And so you suss them out and then you can just look them up and they're there and you're allowed to deny them that drug. Mm. Cause obviously you don't want to perpetuate that addiction. And so in the same way, I think like, why not have this like as a public database and although it's like autonomy or whatever, but it's like people jump church to church and it's been shown that some pastors that are abusers, like they get caught, whatever, they just jump to a different de- denomination or different like church you know in a different state or whatever and so it's like what i think one practical way is like okay why not just make a database of people who've clearly been identified as an abuser so that we can protect the vulnerable and like why was the list that they created hidden like if they had a list why was it hidden and why did they lie about having it or like rejected (laughs) having it it's just so sketchy to me that they would do that yeah you know, let me play devil's advocate, okay, do it. even though I agree. Some people may say, hey, this is ripe for abuse. Because imagine if someone is falsely accused and placed mm-hmm. on a list like this. That sucks mm-hmm. for that person, right? It's like that, mm-hmm. that, that guy's life is ruined and mm-hmm. didn't do anything wrong. Yeah. And it's also maybe this list is also against Christian principles of forgiveness. Mm-hmm. You know, we believe if you repent, your sins are forgiven. This list seems to be like, hey, you make this one mistake, you are forever placed on this list. Yeah. And and may, and again, maybe what you did was not that big of a deal, and you were falsely accused. So that's a double mm-hmm. whammy. What would you What would you say to yeah. that? Yeah. So again, like I say, like those who have been proven to done the abuse, like get on the list for those who are in trial and like I don't know, falsely accused. I feel like it's harder for someone to be falsely accused nowadays. Would you agree with that? It does happen. Yeah. Um, I will say that it is 
probably less likely to happen to some right. random dude in the SPC as opposed yeah. to like a, a like an athlete or a celebrity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, th- those are the ones who are usually more falsely accused. No, but it does happen. You know, I've heard stories of mm-hmm. it happening. I do think, like you said, you can try to have a high level of evidence. Yeah. Um, I do acknowledge that it does become difficult because, mm-hmm. like, think about. I don't know how much football you follow, Angela, but there's a quarterback who used to play for the Houston Texans named Deshaun Watson. Mm-hmm. The reason that he didn't play last year and he may not play this year is that there are like 24 plus accusations of sexual abuse towards him from like massage therapists. Oh my God. And now it, it does seem like there's not enough evidence to criminally convict him. Right. Mm-hmm. But... 24 is a lot. You know? Yeah, what the heck? So like, so you think even people like him who are not going to be criminally convicted, like let's say he was a pastor, but there are 24 accusations toward him. That, of course, he's saying these people are liars. Do you think that this person mm-hmm. should be on a list like that? And that's, you know, what would you Maybe say? there's a section of like in the process of trial or something. Cause, sure, sure. Yeah, because it, again, like, some of these stories, like it took years for someone to like prove that they were sexually abused as a child. And so like, but I'd rather take, put them on a list as like, oh, in the process, or I don't know, whatever, to protect, like they don't have to serve in children's or with women. Like they can serve with adults, like yeah. in a men's group or something, because they'll like, they'll less likely, you know, so be you're able sa- to. Is that your response to the forgiveness point? Like. Like maybe, you know, yes, your sins can be forgiven, but there's still mm-hmm. consequences for what you've done. Yes. Yeah. It's like, yeah, you're, you're forgiven and hopefully you're taking steps to, you know, redemption and recovery. And like, yeah, that's the beauty of the gospel. But at the same time, like, just because you say, oh, I'm sorry, we're not going to put you with children. Like, Sorry. But also, like, there's so many other opportunities to serve. And if that's an area where you fall in and isn't is the best uh, environment for you, like, it's like an alcoholic. You wouldn't want him to go to a bar. It's like, why? Why would you put yourself there? Even though you are forgiven, redeemed, restored. It's like, let's be wise and practically protective of both him and the children. And I say him purposely. Especially especially the children and the and the women. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, yeah. I mean, we do acknowledge that the vast majority of sexual abusers, they tend to be men. Yeah. I don't even know if there were any women that were accused or, you know. Well, I mean, we are talking about the SBC, so there would be no women <laughs> in the, the upper echelon leadership and children's positions. ministers? <laughs> yeah. Well, the, the executive committee needed children's minister. But yeah, that, that might bring us to our next point. Mm-hmm. So beyond just local church autonomy, but also complementarianism like you said all these people are dudes yeah and and i think they're dudes because of complementarianism but even though mm-hmm. they're not church leadership positions like the executive committee like yeah. not all of these guys would be like former pastors so they're not going to be women in the spc do you mm-hmm. think that's a root cause for something like this i think i said this and previous episode i don't think complementarian itself is the root cause but i think bad practice of complementarianism is and i will say though sometimes i don't know why again probably bad understanding and bad application of complementarianism produces this weird 
culture of like, like, cause they're given the position of power, mm-hmm. right? Like they're the ones who can be pastors. They're the ones who are on the top because of complementarianism. But the point of even being in that position is to be the greatest servant. And so that's why I say like, it's a bad practice of it. It's like, you're put in power, not to abuse it, but to serve and like, but anyway, all that to say, I, I, I do think there is something interesting about complementarianism and the, sometimes the culture that comes with it first distinguishes men and women, but also like, I don't know if it's complementarianism or just, I don't know what it is, but like women do become like othered and almost objectified because they're seen as threats or like temptresses. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? Do you know what I'm talking about? Like, yeah, yeah. it's like this idea that, oh, like, get away from you, you woman. Like, don't make me fall. Like, yeah, because of these scandals that have happened with pastors in power. But I don't mm-hmm. I wouldn't connect it directly to complementarianism, though. But it is like this weird cultural attachment that comes yeah. with a lot of complementarian churches. You know, does that make sense? Yeah. It's like the culture like, implication more I, than the theology yeah. of complementarianism. I mean, maybe we can make the argument that this kind of stuff is not necessarily entailed by complementarianism. Mm-hmm. But for strongly complementarian churches or denominations, it is a common danger to fall into the attitude and culture that because women aren't put in these leadership positions, they now don't have a voice mm-hmm. like yeah like no one's advocating for them no one's listening to them yeah and that's easy that's an easy path to go down if you're not careful mm. yeah you that's know true. but maybe some critics have a point like mm-hmm. do you think there should be more women in, yes. in places like the yes FCC, of course. Okay. Okay. it's not <laughs> even a pastoral position so women should be allowed or unless one of the requirements is that you have been at pastor before. Is that one of the requirements? I have no idea. I'm okay. not sure well, what the requirements Women are, should yeah. be in that committee because how do men know when they're being weird? You know, like <laughs> with other men who agree with, okay, not saying the executive committee is weird, but it's like women can tell you like, bro, you're being kind of creepy. Like you don't know you're <laughs> creepy unless someone tells you you're creepy and like you're creepy towards a woman, then woman can tell you're creepy, you know? And so, so I, 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 yes, I agree. That's like a fun, silly way of saying, I agree. Like women should be a voice and a perspective that's included in conversations, especially concerning sexual abuse and abuse of any sort. Cause they are from the victim quote unquote perspective or like the weaker quote unquote perspective and that is an important perspective when you're creating procedures and protection, right? So I, I guess in that way, then complementarian does create a barrier and does kind of play into some of the problems that develops. Okay. So you would say to these two arguments that root causes are like the local church autonomy, ecclesiology of the Baptist, as well as complementarianism, you would say not so much them per se but mm-hmm. bad practices of both yeah it, it's just sin it's always sin yeah. right and it's how people use and abuse that and yeah some people strategically come 
to serve so that they can prey on children. But some like being charitable, like some come in wanting to really serve and feeling like they're called. And then along the way, they lost their way. And, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, so yeah, it's sin. Yeah, there, there's probably something there like there needs to be protections, at not only the upper echelons of the SPC, but even in churches against these this kind of attitude where there are guys in power who have unchecked influence or access yeah. to either children or women. And I don't know if you've seen this kind of weird behavior in churches. I have. A <laughs> and, lot. And maybe there's more people who need to speak up. Like do you have like do you have like a particular example? <laughs> oh, I have many. <laughs> It was like even like things like growing up in children's ministry, like I had a lot of pretty friends, but we're in children's ministry. We're like sixth grade at this point. And we would have like youth guys, like 16 year olds hitting on like 11 year olds, you know? So it's not technically like legally that I know of like crosses any lines, but still it's kind of weird. You know, at that point you're like hitting on a kid and you're a youth, you're a teenager, you know, it's like, what? They're like secret relationships. Why did you have such a gross youth group? (laughs) I mean, uh, see, that's the thing. Like, it wasn't just my church. I heard of other stories from Mm. other girls that this was a thing. And yeah, like, like, I hear more often it's like older dudes who are college or older and they, and then high school. Oh, yeah. 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 And they, they're like, oh, I'm just being a big brother to her. And I'm just like, okay, weird. But I will say, I was listening to a, a podcast with, I forget her name, but she's like one of the leading voices of abuse. She was on a podcast with Russell Moore, who was like the, mm-hmm. the ethic. Yeah, he used to be the head like, of the ERLC, okay, the yeah. Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission of the SBC. Okay, yeah. yeah. And she was just saying her own experience, and it wasn't until another guy confronted or pointed out how her pastor was like treating her that it was weird that hey like it was kind of inappropriate and so it wasn't until she heard that or like the guy pointed it out that she recognized like oh this is weird and then he made his attack that night or something like that unfortunately and so i'm kind of skipping ahead but like that's i think another thing that christian men can do is like identify when it's weird like when there's extra Mm. attention or kind of secretive or flirty or whatever it is like to call it out for some reason guys listen to other guys more (laughs) just kidding is that unfair no that's true okay (laughs) so guys listen to guys more in some cases some men i don't want to overgeneralize but so i will say this though sometimes when guys confront other guys regarding that yeah some the defense is like, oh, you're just jealous that <laughs> I'm close to these two girls and you're not. <laughs> yeah. Ew. I don't know how I got on that tangent. Guys can be creepy. I will say that. Like, I've had c- creepy interactions and mm. interactions where it's very inappropriate or, like, comments are made, like, that are kind of sexual in nature. And you're just like, you don't want to make it a big deal because you don't want to cause a scene, you know, or, like be accused of overreacting or whatever. And so I will say it is kind of hard for women to then to speak up sometimes because, yeah, people that are over you are men. So who are you going to talk to? 
have you had cases? I don't want to be discriminative, you know. Like <laughs> well, none towards me. I haven't had any. I don't think I've had anyone, any girl come at me in a weird way like that. Yeah. But yeah, over the years I've seen like strange relationships, hmm. and yeah, I think there's kind of an overall culture of being afraid to call them out or hmm. um, afraid to afraid to rock the boat. Yeah. So there's a lot of that, and also when. I've I've seen like sometimes when girls eventually do try to speak up, they're kind of gaslit. Yeah. They're told they're the problem. And a lot of girls they're like very impressionable, especially mm-hmm. if they're young. They're like, Oh yeah, okay, it's my fault, or like mm-hmm. you know, I need to pray more and and stuff like that. Yeah. And so yeah, you have a lot of kind of things like that that mm-hmm. kinda of happen. Yeah. Yeah. So given then kind of the problems we've been discussing yeah and this is and this is like the leadership of the sbc like the executive committee presidents whatnot do you think people like us should remain affiliated with the sbc because both of us go to sbc churches yeah and we went to an sbc seminary Mm -hmm. i have seen some former sbc people be like hey i can't i'm not affiliating with the sbc anymore for various reasons do you think this is something that Christians should do? Well, I always have the mindset that if there's a problem, like be a part of the solution. And I was kind of cheesy and like from motivational speeches, but for real, like if you just leave at a side of a problem like this, like who's going to stay to call it out? Who's going to stay to be like, hey, like actually let's do an independent investigative report. You know, like to call out the wrong and the corrupted, to call for restoration and to solve it. And and that's part of why I think, although this was very sad and like disturbing to read, it was also kind of hopeful because it shows like there are people and like an overwhelming number of people that overturn the EC's like limited investigative report. There are people pushing back and like pushing for what's right. And that wouldn't have happened if people just left, you know? And sure. so for me, I, I'm of the side of let's stay and solve the problem and call out what's wrong because you're going to find abusers wherever you go, unfortunately, because of sin. And again, like in the Catholic church, and I'd be very curious to see what the numbers would look like in other denominations and churches. Because outside the church, like Harvey, what is it? Harvey Weinstein? Uh, Harvey Weinstein, yeah. Like him too. It's definitely not just a Christian problem. Yeah, it's everywhere. It's literally everywhere. So the fact that there is an investigative report and like a call for change and like suggestions for practical steps, like I think that's a very healthy thing. It's very slow and outdated and needs to kind of pick it up a little more. But I think at the end day, we should stay when things like this happen to promote that change. But also I don't blame people for leaving because the SBC does have a lot of problems and a lot of barriers like Beth Moore. She stayed for years in trying to be the woman representative and there, it just didn't go anywhere. And so I understand people like her, like who tried and like ran into walls, but sometimes like people leaving help promote solutions. So I don't know. I think it's both and like wherever the Lord Mm -hmm. convicts you, but I don't think just cause there's a few bad apples and like bad situations. That's the point of church. It's messy and it's full sure. of sinners that need 
Jesus. So what about you? Um, the reason why I stay affiliated with the SBC for now yeah. is that <laughs> I now. do agree with their, yeah, I do agree with their ecclesiology, right. like local church, congregational. And I like how they try to partner all these SBC churches still try to partner for the purposes of missions yeah. and education, evangelism. That's the whole cooperative program. Um, I actually greatly dislike SBC politics. Yeah. But because of those agreements and because I believe, I honestly believe most SPC pastors don't want to be caught up in the politics. Yeah. They just want to preach the gospel or preach yeah. God's truth. I do want to partner with people like that. Mm-hmm. It's just more like the, whenever there's money involved, unfortunately, that's where politics comes in. And so these, mm-hmm. up, these kind of upper levels of the SPC, it's highly political. It can be very problematic, very silly. And... Mm-hmm. And so I, I also, I just don't like that stuff, but that, those are the reasons why I stay in the SBC. And also because they're, like you said, they're having steps made. It seems like the churches are pushing back. Yeah. And so I think that's a good sign and, and, a you know, and enough reason to stay in the SBC so long as they stay in this track of trying to address problems like this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what do you think, like, what are some things that we could continue to do to promote like a better environment and like to prevent people in power to so easily abuse and get away with it and push under them. Yeah. Yeah. Like we've mentioned before, like having a list of credibly accused people, mm-hmm. you know, I used the word credibly and, you know, we should have a high evidential standard for that. Mm-hmm. Even if that might mean that certain people fall through the cracks, like, you know, you don't want to willy nilly put someone on a list like that, but having a list like that does help. And I think Overall, having a mentality that you're at least going to listen and take seriously when women come forward, particularly women, because, yes, there are some people who lie or mistake things Mm -hmm. or exaggerate things, but probably the majority of women who do come forward, they have something substantial. And I think this mentality that you're automatically going to dismiss what women say is a bad one so like i I don't know if you mentioned before in previous episodes you know when the whole believe all women hashtag was going on Mm -hmm. that was obviously silly like there are women who lie Mm -hmm. you should still care you need to care about evidence matters so Mm -hmm. just because a woman makes an accusation doesn't mean like oh that's enough we're going to assume that person's guilty like no that's silly but then you don't want to have the opposite mistake of automatically assume that women are lying yeah so Mm -hmm. i think those are both logistical as well as attitude changes they could have and i think there should be more like money and organization given to certain arms of the spc i think they tried to create one that was dealing with issues like this but in in the report said like even though the people working in this particular committee they were Mm well-intentioned it was like greatly disorganized like no one knew what the heck was going on and so there was it was a very like ineffective arm of the SBC so that 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 can be obviously rectified like more money and more organization for certain committees of the SBC to investigate and to take care of issues like this I agree I think also like education on what sexual abuse yeah. can look like and what's appropriate yeah. sometimes certain guys can't read the room or can't read the woman who's uncomfortable like learning signs for what grooming looks like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And learning signs of not 
just grooming of kids, but unhealthy power dynamic relationships between maybe a male leader yeah. and the women who are following him. Yeah. And understanding like this is this is not okay. You should call this stuff out. Yeah. And like for example, sometimes men who are influence, they kind of create double standards for themselves. I mean, I've heard this, you know, in many churches or religious places where they might, you know, teach women like, hey, you know, you need to have high boundaries with guys and you need to do this and do this and this and this. Mm-hmm. But for some reason, those high boundaries don't apply to them. <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's like, so it's, it's almost like they're trying to section off girls for themselves. And you, you should be like, hey, like, shouldn't, you know, asking for some consistency there is a good idea. Yeah. And and if they're unwilling to be consistent, that's maybe a red flag as to, you know, what their intentions are. Mm-hmm. So it's like little things like that that I think people need to be taught to look for. Yeah, like both what the guys do but also what the girls can do as, as a response. Mm-hmm. And like, yeah, looking for that for other people in other relationships. And I saw that there's like a hotline that they made like an email mm-hmm. and whatever that uh, guidepost made for those who want to report more or whatever. And I think that's good. That's great. Like some sort of resource or help for women who like don't feel safe to like speak out. Cause a lot of times, sometimes they're demonized and sometimes they're othered or like they're blamed. And so there's not really a safe space and like even a hope that something could even change if they speak out. Yeah, and need I remind some people, like that email that I read earlier, this can be an evangelism issue because if the SBC fails to deal with this properly, that does hurt our witness. Like it hurts our ability to have credibility in sharing the gospel to the world. Mm. So I reject the dichotomy of this is not a gospel issue. Like, mm. I mean, it it can be yeah. you know, if you're not careful. So um, any final thoughts as as a woman in the SBC, Angela? Oh, man. I mean, I think I'm still processing and a lot of it was me verbally processing. So please don't hold it against me <laughs> like in the future or whatever. Like clearly sexual abuse is never okay. It's a sin that is like of the devil. Like it's not, yeah. Create safe spaces and safe people and safe practices to allow for protection of the vulnerable of the children of the women and even some men, you know, that might yeah. be abused. There, and um, there were some, some men who came forward too. Yeah. Yeah. And, and to, to protect that, like to eradicate sin and not to protect reputation or image or money or whatever value the human that went through a terrible thing. And I think when we just prioritize that, like no matter how much money, no matter how much of a headache of legal, whatever evidence, all that's worth it if it's protecting someone who is abused. I hope that we can just be better in that way. What about you, Isaac? Yeah, there's not, not, nothing to add to that, really. I'll just say that we who are part of the SBC, we do want to see solutions to this. I. Do you think that most people in the SBC, most of the churches, they do want to rectify these errors? Um, sometimes it was just because, like you said, education. It's not like bad intentions, but a lot of SBC churches just mishandled things because they just didn't know what to do. 
Yeah. But they were naive. And mm-hmm. so I think overall, like BSBC, hopefully we can um, learn from this with humility. It is embarrassing. Yeah. But to take this as a impetus to make changes and make people like you, Angela, feel safer and more welcome in the ranks of the SBC. Mm-hmm. So um, this has been the Inner Christianity Podcast. We welcome any comments or questions about this issue, uh, but we'll see you next time. <laughs>